Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Open your Bibles to Amos chapter 2. Let's go ahead and pray and open God's Word together. Father, we do thank you today for your Word, and we just look forward to what you have to say to us through your Word. We believe that your Word uh, not only shows us who you are, but it shares with us how you want us to be. And Lord, although this is a book that's far removed from our culture and context, it is not far removed from our happenings and our doings and the way that we are. We are your people, and there is so much that we can learn from the Old Testament. There's so much we can learn from your dealings with your people. And also, even when we read about judgment, even when we read about punishment, and we understand that the necessary consequence that you had to, that you had to release in days that have gone by is important for us to understand, even in the days in which we're living. We believe that you are a loving God and that everything you do, you do for our good. And so I pray that you would give us fresh eyes to see who you are, what you're like, and even help us to understand why things happen the way that they did in the Old Testament so that we can better be prepared for the life that we're living today. We love you. We thank you for your word today in Jesus' mighty name. Just a real quick review, when we looked at Amos chapter 1, what we saw was an introduction to the person of Amos. We know that Amos did not come from a noble line. He, didn't, he was not one of the sons of the prophets. Um, he didn't have that divine commission that he was born and bred in. It was actually something that God called him to from out of the box. He was a sheep herder. He was a, basically a grower of orchards. He was somebody that monitored the orchards and the fruit thereof. And so this was one of those out-of-the-box divine commission callings of God. And sometimes, as we noted, God will call people outside of the scenario, people that others, someone that others would not pick or others would not think, which requires us to have a clear and clean discernment to be able to hear the voice of God through whomever God chooses. And Amos is one of those figures. So we learned a little bit about Amos. We learned a little bit about his contemporaries, the prophets that prophesied during his time, the kings that were presiding over the northern and the southern kingdoms of Israel and of Judah. We also looked at how there were five pronouncements of judgment upon Israel's neighboring communities. Chapter 1 is just full of judgment after judgment on five neighboring people groups around Israel. And as I told you, chapter two, what we're going to see is we're going to see three pronouncements of judgment. We've talked a little bit about judgment, how judgment is the necessary conclusion of a loving God. God had sent people and warned again and again and again. God had given his law, which was very clear, righteousness and wickedness. And after sending prophets and after priests teaching the law and all that the people knew, they became responsible then for for what they were about to experience, which was God's judgment. And God's judgment was the last resort of His love, having to cut off wickedness so that generation after generation would not experience the same thing. Now, this really is the love of God, and I told you yesterday that for God to be loving 
means that he cannot be passive in the face of wickedness. God is not going to control us. And so that usually is the question. It's like, if God is so loving, then why would he do this? Well, the question is, if we love God, why would we do what we do? You know, so God has to actually take up our own actions and absorb them in a sense and he has to swiftly act and severely act because of our own sin. If we did not put ourselves in these predicaments, God would not have to move in judgment. That's the whole point. It's just like a parent enacting a consequence or discipline with it with the relationship with their child. It's not like parents love that. In fact, I hate it. I hate enacting discipline with my kids. But it's necessary. Why? Because they have made a decision not to act in accordance with what is right. And so when that is the case, a good and a loving parent has to step in. Well, God has to do the same thing. And people say, why is it so severe? Why are judgments so severe? Because actions of the people are so severe. And that's the thing is we indict God for his character, suggesting that he's not loving when we don't even indict the people. We're talking about people that were burning children. We're talking about people that were having all kinds of sexual immorality experiences that are something we don't even want to talk about, things that we don't even want to bring up. Even in a culture where the blush is taken away, we would blush because that's how horrible that it really was. If we're not willing to talk about the sin of the people, then we shouldn't indict the God who has to bring judgment against the sins of the people. We cannot judge God and not ourselves. God is the one that has to step in because people are unwilling to change their ways. And so to see that as unloving is honestly, it's to take away the responsibility of the people. Come on, that's, wow, that's where we're at. Anyways, I talked a little bit about judgment and how it is the necessary conclusion of a loving God. It truly is. And we're going to jump into chapter two. We're going to see another pronouncement of judgment against a neighboring people and then Judah and then Israel. That's what we're going to read about and then we'll uh, comment along the way. Here's what the word of God says. Verse one, thus says the Lord for three transgressions of Moab and for four. Remember that terminology is just uh, the repetitive actions of the repetitive sins. It's the way that the that the literature and the grammar is structured just to simply say that that this is an ongoing repetitive sin. I will not revoke its punishment because he burned the bones of the king of Edom to lime. So I will send fire upon Moab and it will consume the citadels of Kiriath and Moab will die amid tumult with war cries and the sound of a trumpet. I will also cut off the judge from her midst and slay all her princes with him, says the Lord. This is serious judgment. Verse four, thus says the Lord for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke its punishment because they rejected the law of the Lord and they have kept his statutes. Their lies have led them astray and those after which the fathers walked. So I will send fire upon Judah and it will consume the citadels of Jerusalem. So now this is Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke its punishment because they sell the righteous for money and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who pant after the very dust of the earth on the head of the helpless, they also turn aside the way of the humble and a man and his father resort to the same girl in order to profane my holy name. On garments taken as pledges, they stretched out beside every altar and in the house of their God, they drank wine of those who have been fined. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them, though his height was like the height of cedars, and his, he was strong as the oaks, and 
I even destroyed his fruit above his root below. It was I who brought you up from the land of Egypt, and I led you in the wilderness forty years, that you might take possession of the land of the Amorite. And then I raised up some of your sons to be prophets, and some of your young men to be Nazarites. Is, not, is this not so, O sons of Israel, declares the Lord? But you made the Nazarites drink wine, and you commanded the prophets, saying, You shall not prophesy. Behold, I am weighted down beneath you, as a wagon is weighted down when filled with sheaves. Flight will perish from the swift and the stalwart will not strengthen his power. Basically just saying like the, the, the mighty are not going to get out of this. Nor the mighty man will save his life. He who grasps the bow will not stand his ground. The swift of foot will not escape, nor will he who rides his horse save his life. Even the bravest among the warriors will flee naked in that day, declares the Lord. This Here we have, once again, we first are dealing with the Moabites, then Judah, and then Israel. This is very serious, and I just want to kind of break it down by looking at the passages that go together. Let's look first at Amos chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. We're seeing here the repetitive sins of the Moabites, and God is going to clearly bring about necessary judgment. The thing that we read about here in verse 1 is it says that I will send, or sorry, I will not revoke its punishment because he burned the bones of the king of Edom to lime. Why would it say this? In fact, there's no other verse in the Bible that talks about the Moabites burning the bones of the Edomite king. But this was a very serious thing. In this culture, they honored the dead. And so if you were to take the bones of any person, but here we have the bones of a king, they didn't honor the death of another person, of a king or any other nation, they what they were doing is they were making a declaration that you're not only are we going to kill you, not only are we going to usurp you, overthrow you, but we're going to dishonor you. And when God saw that, this was obviously a slight against the entire nation, and it was sick. It was egregious to the Lord. And so them doing that was sort of a final straw, so to speak. This is how far you guys have have gone. It wasn't just the act itself. It was the mindset that brought the act. This level of dishonor is how far you guys are living, which is what is going to cause the judgment of God to come. Now, cremation was not a typical thing in their culture. It was a burial, and that was something that they would do for other kings Israel did that, and there were times where this didn't happen, and it was seen as reprehensible. So we obviously understand how the Lord felt about that. Then it says, The judgment from the Lord that God will send its fire on the fortresses of Kiriath, which this is an important Moabite city. Either it's their capital or it's their number one city for worship. So that's really just this representation of this people. I am going to judge this city. I'm going to bring low this place of your pride, this place of your worship. I'm going to completely wipe it out. That's the judgment of the Lord. And it goes on to say, in addition to destroying the great city, I'm going to destroy your leader and your people as well. So this is a severe judgment against the Moabites, and this is the reason why. Now, Verse 4 and 5 deals with Judah, and here's what it says. For three transgressions of Judah, and for four, I will not revoke its punishment, because they rejected the law of the Lord, and they have not kept his statutes. That's what it's talking about. So their 
being indicted, not just for the bad things that they've done, but prior to that, because Judah knows better. Judah has the law of the Lord. Judah knows the statutes and the laws of God. So God's first going to indict them, not just for their bad actions, but it's for their misrepresenting what they knew. You knew the law of God. You despised it, one translation says. Not just that you rejected it, it's that you despised it that you knew what it was and you made a decision to say, I don't care and intentionally, willfully, I will act against it the way I speak and the way that I act. That's how far, again, these pronouncements of judgment are showing how far people have gone. Amos is speaking against the nations and Judah and Israel and he's summarizing just how far they've gone in these statements. So these statements are potent. These statements are really important for us to understand why actually those ones were made because they represent the action of a people or of the leadership. So he's saying, you, you're rejecting, you're despising the law of God. You're holding it in such a way that is a, a misrepresentation of the Lord. Now, the reason for their doing this um, is given in this passage. They've been led astray, it says, by false gods just like their ancestors. Another translation, the NIV says that they've been led astray by lies just like their fathers walked in. So they're still walking in the lies of their ancestors. I mean, isn't that a really powerful statement? We're talking about generational curses here. We're talking about generational iniquity here, that your fathers walked in sin against God and you've persisted in that sin. Now, it isn't to say that they weren't accountable because once again, God raised up prophets. God raised up Nazarites. God raised up righteous priests. God even in Judah raised up righteous kings, and they're unwilling to follow righteous people. They're following unrighteous people. They're following leaders that are living shamefully. They're following leaders that are saying, this is okay when it's wickedness. And God is indicting the people now for that, saying, you knew better, but you decided to despise the law of the Lord. And can I just say, we're talking about the covenant people of God. To suggest that we know better or to suggest that we ourselves have never fallen to something like this is just not something that we should do. We should read this and we should say, oh God, help me, help us to never fall to this kind of place, to this place, to never go this low, to never not return to you. Lord, keep me close to your heart. Keep me close to your word. We cannot read this and go, yeah, I can't believe that they would do that. No, we have to read this and humble our hearts. We have to read this and humble our lives. Seriously, I, I think if you read scripture, something you find is the people of God seem to always think that they're okay with God. It's, it's something that I think has been a theme for me in this season. When I'm reading the scripture, I'm seeing that people tend to think that they're good with God when they're not. And we don't want to be that. We want to be humble before God. We want to humble ourselves to his word. We want to humble ourselves ourselves to his ways. We want to ensure that we are where God wants us to be. And if we do that, friends, we will be in the will of the Lord. So this is breaking of the first commandment. Exodus chapter 20 says, have no other gods before me. They are living the way that they're indicted because they have followed the lies of their ancestors. They are following false gods. This is a breaking of the first commandment. Um, and this is really important. The punishment for their sins will be the same as, as the other nations. God says, I will send fire 
upon you and upon your cities, upon your people. We believe this was fulfilled through King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. They exiled the people. We see that happen in 605 to 586 BC. At least that's the way that many scholars read this. God did judge Judah. That judgment did come. It was severe. It was a 70-year judgment. I want you to think about that. 70 years. Here's what we know from this passage. When God warns a people and they do not listen, let me just say, God is not like the parent who warns their child but isn't really serious and isn't really going to do what they say. Like, you better do this or else. God's not like that. If God says, here's what you need to do, and if you don't, this is what's going to happen, we need to remember that God fulfills his word. When God said to those that were in Egypt, to Pharaoh and his, and his people, his company there, when God said, if you don't let the people go, I will kill the firstborn among you, as hard as that might be to hear, they didn't do what God said, what Yahweh said, and God did what he told them he would do. God did kill the first. The angel of death came and killed the firstborn. Why am I bringing that up? Because when God says that he's going to do something, he does it. He is not a man that he should lie. He is one that fulfills what he says. And the reason that we know he is merciful and that he is loving and that he is patient is because God sends warning after warning after warning. He gives invitation after invitation after invitation. There comes a point where God cannot just allow things to persist. And that's why we're reading what we're reading in the book of Amos. That's why Amos was called from being a sheep herder, from being a grower of orchards, out of that vocation and into this calling, this divine commission of God to prophesy. Nobody saw it coming. Nobody thought he was the prophet. And God said, this is who I'm going to use. He had to call somebody else. Why? Probably because there were a lot of corrupt prophets and priests and kings. And so God will raise up someone else from outside of that line to say what he needs to say. Well, let's go ahead and continue here. Verse 6, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel, and for four I will not revoke its punishment, because they sell the righteous for money and the needy for a pair of sandals. And now here we're talking about Israel, and this is where we're going to have uh, this the, the longest list of what they had done wrong. And it starts by saying this statement about they sell the righteous for money, and it says, and the needy for a pair of sandals. Now this shows you how far Israel had fallen, that they're willing to sell the innocent to one another to pay for insignificant debts. I mean, that's, that's just how serious this is. Now there are laws that are devoted in the Torah that are how we should deal with one another. God had a serious sensitivity in that he gave laws for his people and how to treat debts of one another. And he was real, it was real lenient in a sense. It was about loving people. It wasn't about exacting, you know, uh, some kind of money from them or somehow treating them in a way where it was just about punishment. There were consequences that were built into that. But there was a lot of leniency in how we deal with debts among people, how we love one another, how we consider one another. And the law would hold each one responsible for that. But this is one of those things where you've gone so far that you're exacting debts insignificant debts, and you're willing to sell your brethren, you're willing to sell people into slavery because of a debt over sandals. That's a pretty serious indictment, but that's exactly what God is saying. This is where people have lost their value for human life. Okay, that's really the summary here. The people have lost their value for human life. They don't really care. 
He goes on to say that those who pant after the very dust of the earth on the head of the helpless and turn aside the way of the humble, they trample on the heads of those who are in the dust. So those who are down and out, those who are poor, those who have nothing, you're willing to step on them while they're in that place rather than help them up, rather than help the oppressed, rather than help the poor. You've decided that those who are in the dust, those who are down and out, those who are marginalized, those who are poor, those who are going through that season, you're going to look down on them, you're going to judge them, and you're going to actually oppress them. They've changed who they are. They've forgotten who God is. They've forgotten what the Torah says. They've forgotten who they are. That is what's going on here, and that's what this means. They kick people while they're down rather than help those who are around them. They've turned wickedness into a normal way of life. They are no longer who God had called them to be. Does that not sound like stuff that we face today? This is a judgment, and this is a laundry list of the reasons why God has to bring judgment. It's not about one act. It's about a long-term way of life among the people of God, the covenant people of God. You knew better. You knew this was not the way of God, but you chose to make wickedness normal, and because of that, God has to step in. They're no longer adhering to the principles that were clearly articulated in the law to help the oppressed. Not only do they withhold help for those in need, but they inflict oppression upon the poor, and they have exhibited, in addition to that, an unrestrained sexual immorality. What do I mean by that? Well, listen to this. It says, and a man and his father resort to the same girl in order to profane my holy name. That could mean two things. That could mean that a father and a son are sexually abusing a servant girl of some kind in the house that they live in. So that's the first thing that that can mean. And what that would be is an oppression. That would be degradation. That would be not only sexual immorality, but that is oppressing someone that is working on their behalf. So that's the first thing that that could mean. The second thing is this could be frivolous sexual immorality and an incestuous immorality. Now, I know we don't want to talk about this, but I just want you to see the summary statement that is in this as an indictment for judgment. This is why this judgment is being pronounced. The reason that it's in here is to say that this is how far people have gone. So other types of sexual immorality were typical and normal. This is just how far it's gone. So if you can imagine things that maybe wouldn't seem as bad on paper or wouldn't be as bad when you hear about them, those acts of sexual immorality, which are sin, which are wickedness, those things had become normal. But it's the height to which this had risen where this summary statement is made. That a father and a son are using the same woman, either oppressing a servant girl in their own home, using her sexually, or they are disregarding the law, which we read about Exodus 22, Leviticus, where if a man were to sleep with a woman, he would be obligated to marry her. That would be the Torah. That would be the law. And so if people are having frivolous sex and a father and a son are doing it, and that's how far they're going. I know you don't want to hear this, but, but God's saying, this is how much you do not care about the law, where sex, sexual immorality, you are animalistic. You are animalistic in the way in which you are behaving. Now, God surely has to step in. Friends, listen, we are living in a time of, this, of a similar sexual immorality. 
We are living in a time of unrestrained sexual immorality where it is normal, it is normal for people before marriage to have sex. It's almost like our children are being made fun of for being virgins. That's how far that it's gone. Now, we expect that in the world. We expect that in whatever nation that we're a part of. Unregenerate people, non-saved people, people that don't have the law of God, are certainly going to behave like they don't have the law of God. We understand that. But not those among God's people. That shouldn't be the way that it is. I, I said last night in our Ignite gathering, we've got to go back to a place of morality, not in that we're trying to please God with, with restraining our passions, but rather we want to please God by being like God. He called us to be like Him. He gave us sexuality for an expression between one man and one woman that was in, in every way, it was to create legacy. He gave us this ability to have pleasure within covenant. God gave that to us as a gift, and it's a gift to be stewarded. And it's one of the places that has always taken the people of God out when they have abused and misused this precious gift called sex. Sex is a beautiful gift that God has given us. And when we distort it, it reduces humans down to animalistic tendencies, compulsive tendencies. And that's what this is about. And we've seen that from the people of God again and again. I'm not here to indict America, as it were. Certainly, our nation has a lot of corruption. I'm not suggesting that that's in, in its entirety. But we have got an incredible amount of corruption when it comes to sexual immorality and pornography and so on and so forth. But let's just talk to the church for a moment. For those that name the name of Jesus, we've got to pray and press in for a holy generation to rise among us that we don't want to be on the other end of God's judgment. God's just not going to judge America, and I think people misunderstand what's happening today. God's not judging just the unregenerate. He will come back as the righteous king to do that. But will God judge the household of God when we act like everything but God's people? Yeah, why? Because the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, He disciplines those whom He loves. We are hemmed in. We are not going to get away from the Lord. God loves us too much to let us go away in our sin. And so where we are addicted to pornography, where we are exhibiting these kinds of immoral practices, God is going to go after us through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and He is going to move in such a way where we are going to feel that conviction until we surrender our hearts to Him. And if you are listening to me and you find yourself in a place of sexual immorality and sexual sin, let me just say to you, there's a lot of hope. You have to admit to God that you cannot do what only God can do. Do not hide, do not run away, and do not act like it doesn't matter. Sexual sin is tearing down the very fabric of our society. It is calling evil good and good evil. And we need to come back to a place of purity and holiness. And I am believing God for a righteous generation to rise up where sexual sin is not in our closets. We can get to a place where God's Holy Spirit can purge the sexual sin among the church, and there will be a beauty and a righteousness and a holiness that we know only God can do. Let's contend for that because we're reading something that God had to judge and it was serious, so let's not act like it isn't happening in the church, but let's not judge the church like we're not a part of it. Amen. So let's pray. And let's press in to see what the Lord wants to do. And we already know what that is. And it goes on to say that by this kind of sexual immorality, 
that they are profaning the name of God. Of course they are. They're acting like the other nations. So that is profaning the name of God. The picture in verse 8 is that here we have um, on garments, it says, taken out as pledges, they stretch out beside every altar. Stretch out to do what? Sexual sin. And in the house of their God, they drink wine of those who have been fined. Now, what does all of this mean? It's giving a picture. Sometimes clothes were given as a pledge when you made a pledge, whether you had to return something to someone and so that those clothes would be given. You had to go back and get something or you had to make a payment. So you'd give clothes as a pledge. It was basically like, um, it was in good faith. It was, a, it was sort of like a, a collateral. And so you'd give your clothes, you'd come back before sunset or that person would have to give those clothes back before sunset the same day. And what it's saying is, is that they're disregarding covenants, they're disregarding commitments, they're disregarding pledges of one another, and they're taking those garments, they're stretching them out beside every altar of any kind of God, and they're having sex, they're committing acts of sexual immorality, they're disregarding their commitments among one another. And then it goes on to say, and, and then in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Wine was a form of payment, and so... Um, so what they're doing is they're drinking it in the house of God and they're disregarding God altogether. And in many, in many ways, a lot of what they're being indicted for is an oppression of the poor, casting off the law of God as though there is no law. They're mistreating one another and they're worshiping other gods. That's what they're being accused of because that's what they're doing. Verse 9, yet it is I who destroyed the Amorite. Now God goes in to remind them. God goes in to remind them. Here's the accusations. Here's what they've been doing. Now he goes in to remind them. Here's who I am. I want to remind you of who I am. I want to remind you of who you are. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them. This was, though his height was like the height of cedars, the Amorite were like the pre-inhabitants of, uh, uh, the, they were the Canaanites before that Israel moved into the promised land. And so God's saying, you know, I, I wiped this people out before you that you could inhabit the land. That's who he's talking about. Um, he's saying they were strong. They were strong as oaks. Uh, even I destroyed the fruit above his head and root below. It was I who brought you up from the land of Egypt, and I led you in the wilderness for 40 years that you might take possession of the land of the Amorite. And he, he's saying all of this to just say the Amorites were taller and stronger, and and they were more valiant in war. They would have wiped you out. But I, God, the Lord, Yahweh, I am the one who did this for you because I love you. And I want you to see that. I want you to remember who I am. I want you to remember what I have done. I want you to remember why this matters because hopefully if you see who I am, it will remind you of who you are. Why would I have done this for you? Why would I have loved you like I have? And why, and how are you, why are you responding to me the way that, that you are? Verse 11 through 13, we, hear, we have here, Then I raised up some of your sons to be prophets, some of your young men to be Nazarites. Is this not so, O sons of Israel, declares the Lord? But you made the Nazarites drink wine, and you commanded the prophets, saying, Don't prophesy. Behold, I am weighted down beneath you as a wagon weighted down that is filled with sheaves. God raised up prophets from among the people, Nazarites. In case you don't know what a Nazarite is, the word Nazarite conveys the idea of separate, and it denotes the consecration practiced by this group. The Nazarites took special vows of separation. You can read about that in Numbers chapter 6, verse 1 through 12. They abstained from partaking of any product of the vine, any wine, and they vowed to neither cut their hair nor touch a dead body. They, in a sense, were living and exhibiting holy life among the people. God specially anointed them for certain things, really as people of holiness among the people of God, to remind them to be holy. 
Nazarites carried a special purpose in a sense to be an example. Samson was a Nazarite, but he did not fulfill his vows. I won't go into that, but that's why he was in a sense evil. I mean, Samson did do a mighty deed before he died, but what you see in his life was that he was very unrighteous and did not hold to the standards of a Nazarite. So Nazarites were an influence for good in Israel, but now Israel was trying to force them to drink wine, violate their vows, and they muzzled the prophets. Now, now here's a, uh, this is what I wrote in my devotions today. When the people are corrupt, they seek to corrupt their spiritual leaders. When the people are corrupt, they seek to corrupt their spiritual leaders. Now, sometimes the leaders are corrupt, and that brings corruption among the people. But the opposite is true here. What it's saying is the people were corrupt, and they were seeking to corrupt their spiritual leaders in real life or in their mind so they don't have to feel conviction and change their ways. I I want you to think through that. That's what's going on here, is that God raised up Nazarites who would be separate examples among Israel, and they sought to distort them. They sought sought to pervert them. God raised up prophets, and they said, do not prophesy. In fact, killed the prophets. Ladies and gentlemen, that happens today. God raises up people, and we shame them. At minimum, in our minds, we say, well, that person isn't from God. That person doesn't know the Bible. That person doesn't know what they're talking about. That person's angry. That person this. But you know what? I believe in this season, God's going to raise up people just like we read about in Amos. Amos is a man that nobody chose. God chose. Nobody would have thought of. God thought of. Nobody saw him coming out of being a sheep herder and a grower of orchards, but God saw him. God saw his heart. God raised him up. God gave him his word, and he spoke it. I believe people in our day and in our age, they may not come where we thought they would, from where they, we thought they would. They may not be who we thought they would be, but God is going to raise them up. God's going to raise them up, and he's going to put his word in their mouth, and we need to learn how to discern the word of the Lord. We cannot seek to corrupt spiritual leaders. In fact, we need to pray for our spiritual leaders. Maybe, I mean, all of us lead to some degree in our homes. We lead our hearts. We lead our sphere of influence. But we actually do need spiritual leaders. In a time where we are suspicious of spiritual leaders, in a time where we are suspicious of Bible teachers, in a time where we are casting off the restraint of any kind of spiritual authority, it is happening. It is happening. The pressure that is coming against spiritual leaders right now is causing them to fold. It is causing them to fold. I can speak from experience. I have never in my life gone through so much accusation and indictment. And I would say it's not even always malicious. It's just part of the spirit of the age. It's part of what is happening. When when people are going through something, we tend to push that off onto others rather than come together as a family. Let me just say to you, let's come together as a family. We need each other and we need spiritual leadership. It's, it's not enough to say, we need leaders to be spiritual leaders. Pray for spiritual leaders. Ladies and gentlemen, stop waiting for them to be perfect or to be who you want them to be. God may be leading spiritual leaders to rise up in ways that might confront us or even the thoughts that we have. And I believe that's actually happening. But what we see here is they tried to silence the spiritual leaders that were carrying the anointing. And that, was, that led to their demise. It led to their demise because it was a mercy of God to raise up Nazarites and prophets. And we also see here in verse 15, it's, or vo- verse 14, flight will perish from the swift and the stalwart from, the, from 
will not strengthen his power, nor the mighty man save his life. He who grasps the bow will not stand his ground. The swift of foot will not escape, nor will he who rides the horse to save his life. Even the bravest among the warriors will flee naked in that day, declares the Lord. Amos is painting a picture here where nothing is going to save you from judgment. Everything that you've relied upon, everything that you thought was your strength, everything that you thought would get you out of a jam, would be able to be your strength in difficult times. Nothing can save us from the hand of God. Listen, <laughs> we, we might think in a day where sickness you know, runs rampant across the land, wars, rumors of wars, pestilence, riots, fires, whatever, maybe we can get away from some of those things. All right, think about it. If, if, and this is horrible. We need to pray for, over the fires that are happening in our area, eastern Washington, California, Bonnie Lake, Sumner. Our heart is with you. But listen, we can get away from some of these things. You know, life can move on. That, I'm not saying that that's okay. I'm not saying that that's, that's wonderful. We're going to pray. We're, we're a family. What I'm saying is, is you, you, you might be able to get out of that. You can evacuate that. Um, maybe we can protect ourselves from from illness and sickness. And, but you know what you can't get out of? You can't get out, you can't get out of the judgment of God. If God's hand is against you because of the behavior and the activity that we are exhibiting, that we are acting in, I, I need you to hear this. We cannot get out of that. We are not going to get out of the judgment of God. God's judgment is swift and severe, the judgment that is released and revealed in the book of Revelation. It is very clear that Jesus is a righteous judge with a scepter in his hand. I believe we need the fear of God to return to the church. We need the, I need the fear of God in my life. I need to be desperate for God. I need to see God as a righteous king. He is a righteous judge. He is God Almighty. He is not just Jesus hanging out in a boat, cooking fish on a fire. Jesus Christ is a righteous and holy king. And we are his subjects. We are living ever before him. All of our deeds are exposed. Every careless word, every thought, every action, every inaction, it is ever before the all-knowing God. And he is the judge. And so what we want to do is not be scared of him, but we want to fear him. And this passage is saying there is nothing that is going to work for people that want to get out of the, the judgment of God. We might be able to get out of all kinds of other things that are happening in our day, but we will not run from, we, we, there's nowhere we can go. And so for those of us that know Jesus, our knees are bowed, our tongues are confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. For those that have not yet done that, let's cry out for them to know God. Let's not judge people in this day. The righteous judge is going to do that. Let's cry out for mercy. Let's give our lives to helping people know the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's realize that when people do get judged, there's no coming out of that. There's, there's no second chance when the judge renders his final verdict. And we're reading under the old covenant, Amos is saying this, and he's saying it very clearly, you're not getting out of the judgment of God. We can see from the historical accounts that when God judged them, especially talking about Judah, God brought about judgment. Seventy years is what that judgment was, which means an entire generation did not get to come back and see Jerusalem in Judah. That did not happen. And so we too want to rise up in our day and in our age and follow God righteously, follow his word carefully, be, be the prayerful people that we need to be, and also be those that realize that when the judgment of God does come, and it will come, Sometimes people act like there will be no judgment. God is coming back and he will judge this world. And if we are not 
part of the company of people that are speaking the gospel of the kingdom of God, revealing that Jesus Christ came and took our punishment in our place. He died in our place. He was the substitutionary atonement for you and for me because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 3, 23 and 24. When we realize this and we realize that we actually have the cure for spiritual cancer, we've got to become passionate about helping people know that blood would not be on our hands. Amos is at the point where he's pronouncing judgment. There were other prophets before Amos that warned. Amos was the prophet who brought judgment and pronounced it upon the people. We are the generation. We are in the dispensation that warn. We are warning, but we are not warning and saying, be scared. We are warning judgment is coming, but you do not have to undergo that judgment. You can come into relationship with an almighty God. Judgment is being rendered upon our sin. The wages of sin is death. It's not God is against people. It's that God is against sin. And if we, if we are under that punishment, the only way for that punishment to be lifted is that we allow Jesus to take it. Now, Jesus did take it, but he takes it for those that choose him. He takes it for those that repent and turn to him. He takes it from, from those who believe upon him. And that's our job. Our job is to be the mouthpiece of God in the world today, is to be the prophets of Jesus today. Speak forth the gospel. Let people know that Jesus Christ came, died, rose again for the forgiveness of our sins to restore us into right relationship with our heavenly father. Amen and amen. And so we look at this book of Amos, seeing the pronounced judgments, knowing that we are living in the time of those prophets that warned before judgment would occur. Judgment's coming, but we're not prophets of judgment. We're prophets that warn, and we're also prophets that preach the good news of Jesus Christ, that the King has come, and everybody can come into his kingdom. And there is a way in which that you do that, but that is our job, that is our role. Jesus said, preach the gospel to all creation. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them everything I commanded. We're getting away. What I, what I do, there's a lot about this season that I don't like, but what I, am, what I am grateful for in this season is that I believe God is pruning the church back. I'm so thankful for this. He's pruning us of the raffles and potlucks. Nothing wrong with that, but he is pruning us back to the mission and the message. And people that are going to get serious about this are going to see people saved and set free and delivered. We are going back to who we are. We are not forgetting who God is. We are not forgetting who we are. We are not forgetting what we know. We are not forgetting what God has said. We are going back. We are going back. We are going back. And you are going back with me, and we're going to do this together. I'm excited about it. I'm thankful for the book of Amos because it helps us to see even what we need to see in the time in which we're living. I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're fired up. I'm going to pray for that today right now. Join me as I pray. Father, we thank you today that as we read the book of Amos, we see that he was a a prophet that brought the pronouncement of judgment, but there were many prophets who brought warnings. We are living in a time. And we recognize that as we speak to people, you've saved us, you've set us free, you've opened our hearts, now we're following you. As we speak to people, we are both warning them and we are both inviting them. We are inviting them into the blessing of relationship with the one that created them through Jesus Christ and through your precious blood that was shed on our behalf so that we would be forgiven, that we would be restored. 
we're inviting people into relationship, but we're also warning them that those who choose to follow themselves, those who choose to follow other gods, that judgment will come. And we don't need to read that account of a modern day account of Amos saying this is happening, not will happen. We get to speak in that time where this is going to happen, not now it's happening. And so I pray that we would be prophets of Jesus. I pray that we would speak the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that we would preach Christ crucified, risen from the dead. And we would, just as though you were making an appeal through us, that we would compel all men and all women to come to Christ. I pray that you would fire us up. I pray you would fill us up, fuel us up, and send us out, and that we would walk in the name of Jesus, with the nature of Jesus, in the power of Jesus to do your will with your word and to do it your way. I thank you today for everybody tuning in. Bless and strengthen them. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Send us out today. Use us. Give us opportunities in whatever way that you see fit. Help us to discern properly Help us to share openly, be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. We thank you today. We love you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.